0: Our scripture this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 15, beginning at verse 36. Sometime later, that is, after Paul and Barnabas had returned from their first missionary journey and had met with the church in Antioch, joyously rejoicing at what had happened on that journey, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. I'm sure this seems like a strange text to preach on on a Sunday morning. And in fact, I don't think I've ever preached on it before in my life. But I thought, as I thought about what I should talk about this Sunday, after the significant vote that was taken last week, this is the text that came to mind. This vote that we took became necessary, and I'll rehearse this a little bit for you, because of the decisions of the last two synods of the Christian Reformed Church, which made the rejection of same-sex marriage for Christians, a confessional matter, not just a matter of we may disagree over. A significant number of our office bearers here at Elger Park could not agree. The council proposal, therefore, was defeated, but was also necessary because Elger Park is at an important crossroads. That is, we are about to call a new pastor. And because we're about to call a new pastor, we have to be sure that we set for ourselves a vision and a mission that we're about and be clear about it. And now, with the proposal defeated, we deal with the fallout. The hope of including both points of view together within this congregation now seems impossible. As a result, some things are happening. Two of our staff members, Dan and Janelle, have given their notice. And it's likely that there may be a number of members, don't know, who may be leaving over the coming months. I thought we needed to be aware of that, to face that. These people are not angry, they're not resentful, quite the opposite they leave with great sadness because they love this church. They love it greatly. They simply feel that with this decision, Elder Park doesn't any longer fit their understanding of the kind of ministry that they can fully participate in. On the other hand, many of you conscientiously believe that this decision is exactly the right one. You're convinced that we need to stick with the Christian Reformed Church and what it says and what you believe the Bible clearly teaches. That's important. There aren't any winners, there aren't any losers in this decision. There's no one to blame. There is just a stark reality that with this decision having been made, the result is going to be some kind of parting of the ways. And this isn't just happening here. I'm sure you know it's happening in our neighborhood, in southeast Grand Rapids and in other parts of the Christian Reformed Church. So with that in mind, we read this uh, kind of disheartening story in the book of Acts. Now, I wanted to reflect on this text for two basic reasons. First of all, it gives us what happen- it gives us what happens here as a a kind of a grounding, a place to stand, a place to think about it in the Scriptures themselves. What we're experiencing isn't something that's new. It's not something unique. This sort of thing has happened from the beginning of the church, and it's all right there on the pages of Scripture. Second, and more important, I think that this text, along with a couple of others we're going to look at, may also help us to know how we can proceed from here in the right way. Church splits are regretful, but they can even be worse depending on how we deal with them. We tend to think of the early church as this sort of pristine, wonderfully unified community. It wasn't. It never was. It was made up of people just like us. So if you lift the hood up on the early church to see what it's really like, you will see that it wasn't all that much different from us. Paul and Barnabas have been working together for a long time, for several years, in a fruitful ministry to the Gentiles. They've traveled through various parts of Asia Minor. They've seen tremendous works of the Holy Spirit Hundreds of Gentiles, maybe thousands, have come to faith in Jesus Christ alongside of the original Jews. And so now they decided that they should revisit these churches once more. The problem arises when Barnabas wants to take his young nephew, John Mark, along with them. Now, we don't know why. We don't know the circumstances. But for some reason, John Mark sort of abandoned them on their first missionary journey. And Paul absolutely refuses to give him another chance now this was not some calm and friendly disagreement like let's agree to disagree the greek word which is the basis for this uh, the word that describes it is the word paroxysm it was a blow up it was a bitter acrimonious fight between two leaders of the church and it causes a regretful split. As far as we can tell, that split continues throughout the lives of these two men. They never got together again, as far as we know. Since Paul is presented as a kind of, I don't know, the hero of the book of Acts, we tend to think that he was probably on the right side of this argument. But I have to admit, my sympathies are with Barnabas. The name Barnabas literally means encourager. And every single time we meet him in the book of Acts, that's exactly what he's all about. It begins in Acts 4, where it says that Barnabas is one of the earliest Christians, and that very early he gave all of his money to the church to be distributed as there was need. The next time we see him, he is meeting with the other apostles. And they're very wary of this young upstart named Paul, who, after all, has been hell-bent on destroying the church. Barnabas assures them that Paul is the real thing. He's a real Christian, and he's a very gifted one to boot. A little later, the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to Antioch, where a new thing is happening, and Gentiles are pouring into the church. Well, Barnabas goes there, takes one look at it, and then heads off to Troas to go after Paul because he knows that Paul is exactly the right man for the job. And then the Antioch church sends Barnabas and Paul together on this first missionary journey. So we need to understand that Barnabas was an enthusiastic supporter of Paul all the way because of his gifts and his brilliant preaching but none of this seems to matter to Paul because Barnabas wants to take his nephew, John Mark, along with them and give him a second chance. Now, I think that there was more going on under the surface here than what we see in, in Acts. One hint is given in Paul's letter to the Galatians, which was most likely written after this incident had taken place. In chapter 2, Paul talks about how he confronted Peter to his face, he says, over the fact that Peter refused to sit down with Gentiles because of his, the Jewish kosher laws. And then he says, even Barnabas was led astray in this hypocrisy. Maybe Barnabas, leaving up, keeping up to his name, was trying to keep the Jewish contingent on board with the Gentile ministry. But so-called Judaizers who believed Gentiles should basically become, Jew, uh, become uh, Jews in order to be in the church were Paul's sworn enemy. So maybe Paul thought Barnabas wasn't sufficiently on board with all this. All of this leads me to think that there may have been something deeper going on, more than just this argument over John Mark. We never know, but we do know that along with being extraordinary missionaries in the early church, these two men were sinners like us. And they had deep emotions and deep relationships and deep blind spots. But if you go through the New Testament with an eye to seeing what the church was really like, you will see that it was constantly rocked by disagreements and heated arguments. That's why the New Testament letters so often call for unity and love in the church, precisely because there was disunity and a lack of love. And of course, this has been the church's story down through the ages, as testified in the Reformation Day that many churches celebrate today. Back when I was a history major at Calvin College, I wrote my final paper on the mission of the Christian Reformed Church in China in the 1930s. So I spent hours in the uh, Christian Reformed Church building and the archives down in the basement going through yellowed pieces of paper of mission reports from the field. And what I discovered was that this mission, which at that time was being heralded by the banner, was a mess. It was a mess of bitter arguments over mission strategy, over personality conflicts, and it finally fell apart. Except for one man, missionary doctor Lee Huizinga, who stayed in China with the people and finally died in a Japanese prison camp. Our own denomination was born out of division. This is not a good thing. Far from it. It's a sign that the church always falls short of the ideals to which it's called, ideals invoked by Jesus' own prayer, which we fail to remember. My prayer is that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The church should never be satisfied with that sad tendency toward division. It's a testimony to our continued sinfulness, and it's a hindrance to the gospel. So the question is now, where do we go from here? If a split is inevitable, and it seems to be it's happening all over the church, how do we do it as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ— How do we do it with love and with integrity? One thing is clear to me. In the wider denomination, and to a very small extent here, I've seen some people branding others that they don't agree with as not just mistaken, but as sinful, lost, false teachers on the one side, or hateful, homophobic, and judgmental on the other. No doubt, we have serious differences. And that goes all the way back to differences of understanding the Scriptures. But fundamental to any healing for all of us is to agree that we are fellow Christians who disagree over how we read the Bible on a particular point. We must not take it upon ourselves to judge anybody else's faith or standing in the church. Still, we face this seeming division. We should not ignore the empty seats that may appear, or are already there, as though they were never part of us. Nor should those who leave walk away, or worse, stalk away in anger and resentment. If some of us feel that we must leave as a matter of conscience, or because synodical decisions make it impossible somehow to participate in the life of the congregation and its mission, the congregation needs to find ways to bless them. Bless them in finding new congregations where they can plug in their ministry skills and passions. Bless them by giving thanks for what they have done and given here at Alger Park Church over the years. And those who feel that they must leave should do so blessing those who remain. Bless Elder Park Church. Bless its continued ministry. Bless its vitality and pray for its vitality. Call it gracious separation. That's important for those who leave because it helps them to deal with their very real grief and loss in leaving. And it helps them to avoid resentment and bitterness and anger. And it's also important for those who remain for the very same reasons. It helps them deal with the grief and loss of seeing people leave and guards them against their anger and bitterness and resentment. It's truly sad and disheartening that this is happening. And I'm sure it weighs heavy on many of our hearts but how we go about doing it goes a long way toward our health and growth in the future. And that's our calling now. The situation, as I said, boasts no winners or losers, but it has the potential to highlight the most fundamental Christian truth of all, that love which is of the very nature of God if within the pressures and the strains of human disagreement, if within the inevitable fallenness of the church, we can part with love and with blessing, that itself is a testimony to the grace of God and to the gospel. But we haven't heard the whole story of John Mark and Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas left Paul, of course, and took John Mark with him to go to Cyprus, which was his birthplace, and there he continued his ministry among the Gentiles, we know. And he also continued to coach his young protege, Mark. Eventually, Barnabas ended up like Paul would eventually end up being martyred. Actually, he was dragged through the streets by an angry mob on the island of Cyprus. What about John Mark? Strangely, Mark reappears in Paul's letters. In Colossians, Paul writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, the son of Barnabas, cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So Mark is now helping Paul in prison. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in my ministry. In Philemon, Paul gives his greetings and concludes, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. In his own epistle, the apostle Peter writes, Your sister church in Babylon, that's a code word for Rome, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark, Peter refers to Mark as his son, that is, his beloved protege to whom he's pouring out his life and his, wor- and, his, and his words. So Paul eventually found Mark the source of division to be a reliable co-worker and friend. And then Mark comes under the tutelage of Peter, the undisputed leader of the church. And finally, most remarkable of all, Mark himself writes one of the four Gospels that is a treasure of the church's life through the ages. The church is a human institution, and often it's just messy, like all human life. Even the leaders, and maybe especially the leaders, don't always get along. But Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, still guides His sinful church to accomplish His mission, And it's a story of division and multiplication. Division is painful. It's seldom a good thing, and we ought to avoid it as much as possible. But when division does happen, especially when it's accompanied by mutual love and blessing, the work of Christ may be multiplied and His name glorified despite our differences and our failures. And the greatest testimony to our continued unity in Christ is sharing in this table in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which we will soon do this morning. Division and multiplication. It's the strange, strange math of the kingdom of God. And we pray that it will f- that it will hold true in the final tally for Elger Park Church and for the Christian Reformed Church and for the Church of Christ as a whole. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God, we confess that it's really, really hard to stay together in love and unity all the time, because sometimes we just disagree over seemingly fundamental matters, and it's hard to know how to proceed. We pray that you will pour out your grace and love upon this congregation at this time Keep us together in unity as much as possible, and where and if there is division, give us grace and blessing for each other, so that your work may go on and your love may be known by all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.